Hoops Adjacent is brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because Game Time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. Now, I live in Washington, so I know that Wizards fans who saw them beat the Spurs the other night, might be a little interested in getting some tickets to see this young team hustle around the court. The best offensive team in basketball. Now, they don't guard nobody, but they at least put the ball through the hoop, so they're entertaining. And then in February, Waz, my man, Chance the Rapper is coming to town, and you might be able to get some deals on him. Yeah, man, I love gospel rap, man. So if you're a fan of gospel rap like I am, go check Chance the Rapper out, man. Yeah, man, so... With Game Time, the app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. You download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store to score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. What is it? Let's bring DA into the conversation here. Welcome to Who Comma is on the Athletic Podcast Network. I turned it on and I heard Shaq with the barbs like the most in his braggadocio, I was transported right back into it. I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> I think I rap better than shit. With David, David Aldridge. Aldridge. Oh, he's totally playing. Yes. <laughs> yes. Come on, we're friends, aren't we? And then he yeah. cut their lungs out and killed everybody on TV. Michael was not your friend. So the Chicago and Detroit stuff, that was real. That was real. I mean, God forbid we don't have scholarship monies and can't pay for the charters for the water polo <laughs> in Iowa. Welcome to Hoops Adjacent. Welcome to Hoops Adjacent. Welcome to Hoops Adjacent. Welcome to another edition. And welcome to another episode of Hoops Adjacent. I'm David Aldridge, and my man Waz Lambre is out in L.A. Waz, how you doing, boy? I'm doing fantastic, man. I cannot complain. It's actually fall here in L.A., which means 62-degree highs. Oh, whatever will you do at 62 (laughs) degrees? Did they close the schools this morning? (laughs) Listen, man. Dude, Dave, when when it it drizzled the other day, um, me and our guy, Mo Doc Hill. Yeah, Mo's my uh, man. Yeah, I like Mo. Yeah. We were we were carpooling to the lake to the excuse me the Clipper game at Staples Center against the Celtics the other day, yeah. Um, on Wednesday, and mm-hmm. it was drizzling, and people <laughs> were driving on the highway as if they were driving in sleet, <laughs> as if you know it was like ten <laughs> inches of snow on the ground, both hands gripping the wheel, <laughs> slow as hell. over and parking. It's, it's crazy, dude. It's hilarious. <laughs> Because they're not so not used to it, it's like, guys, like, your car's tires are made (laughs) to drive in the rain. Like, you can brake normally. You can switch lanes. You can do all the things you do when it's not raining. While it's raining, it's 2020, guys. You just have to slow down, fellas. That's all. (laughs) Slow down. No, people people clown on D.C. all the time because when it snows, we go nuts here. We don't know what to do when it snows. And so it's nice to have another city I can clown on in L.A. (laughs) So that helps me out a lot. makes me feel better. So, (laughs) Um, But you mentioned you went to the Clippers-Celtics game. That was a good one, man. Yeah, man, you know what? It started off pretty sloppy in the first half. The Celtics were like one of 18, I believe, from three. The Clippers were just throwing the ball into the courtside seats all over the place, and that was Kawhi, Lou Will, Paul. All of them were turning the ball over. 
Patrick Beverly, for some reason, refused to shoot. And then in the second half, we had essentially what was the best game of the season so far. Yeah. Um, just a high level of intensity. The staple center crowd actually being into it for yeah. a sustained period of time, which, sorry, and I hate to you know, keep beating a dead horse with the Clippers fans. They they are just too cool, not too cool for school. It's almost like they can't just be bothered to cheer oftentimes, but they were into that game in the second half. And, you know, of course it was our first chance to see what it would look like with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard on the court at the same time. They're two huge acquisitions this summer. Yeah. It was it was legitimately an incredible atmosphere. Uh, went to OT um, again, guys going back and forth, Tatum hitting the big shot, yeah. uh, Beverly hitting big shots. It was just a fantastic game to be at, man. Very fortunate. I have to admit, I, I'm I'm really shocked how well Boston has played out of the gate. Not because I didn't think Kemba was a great player, because he is, but I just thought the size deficit, especially in, at center, was going to be too much for them to overcome this year. But they have been terrific this year so far defensively. Yeah. I, yeah, they, 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 um, obviously, Kemba has been a huge upgrade on the defensive end so far. Also, I think it helps that Enos Cantor hasn't played a lot. Yeah, um, that's true. And we know <laughs> that he's a bit of a sieve on that end. <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, the funny thing about that game, Dave, is that I think it highlighted two things for me. One, um, the Clippers' crunch time defense, yeah. their ability to have both Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, and even to a lesser extent, Patrick Beverly, as perimeter defenders. Um, We know at the end of the games, a lot of times it gets ISO heavy. You give it to your big dog and make him create. If you don't have someone who is absolutely A-plus level creator on his own, you are going to struggle to score against them. No question. In crunch time. Like, Like, Kemba Walker, I love him. The last of the Mohicans, as far as great New York City players, yeah. um, I, I, you know, I have a big attachment to Kemba. God bless him. He couldn't do anything against Kawhi. He couldn't do anything against Paul George in a one-on-one setup. He needed screens to free himself. And even when he was getting close to the lane, he was getting his stuff, you know, his shit stuffed because yeah. he's, a, he's a slender guy. I just thought, and and you know, and that's one of the weaknesses of Boston's. They have a bunch of what um, Bomani Jones would call a bunch of low spades. Yeah, you know, yeah, like you got yeah. space, <laughs> right. but you know, they in the nine, eight range. You right. don't got no you don't big got jokers. The queens and kings, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You, you, you don't got that. And, you know, and I think that's going to be effective enough in the, the regular season because the mark of, uh, you know, you can say what you want about Brad Stevens and Lord knows I've given him some grief because of the overratedness of yeah. the hype around him very early on. But right. a mark of all of his teams, they play hard. Yeah. They all play hard, and this team is no different. So in the regular season, they've got a talent level that's high enough, and they play hard, and they're going to scheme well. Um, So they're going to win regular season games. But I think at the end of the game, it was a glimpse of what you might see in the playoffs. They're going to have trouble creating offense because Tatum isn't there yet. I know he made that shot where he shook Paul George and he scored, but you know there was one possession in overtime where he tried to take Kawhi Leonard. Um, off the dribble. He went left towards the lane and he did one of those, you know, when the guy's going dribbling left and he rises up and does one of the push shots with his right fading away from yeah. the basket. Yeah. And whenever you see a guy take that, his shoulders isn't square yeah. um, and he's not taking a normal jump shot. You know, you got no chance. That's a bad shot. That's right. a shot that has a lo- very low um, probability of going in. And so if those are the type of looks you're going to generate against top-notch locked-in defenses, they're going to struggle in crunch time against the best of competition. 
Yeah, I mean, I just don't see them, you know, whether it's it's Philly with their length, you know, yep. to a lesser degree, Milwaukee with their length, and maybe even Miami, you know, that has guys like yep. Jimmy Jimmy Butler defensively that can really get into a guy. Um, that's the problem I see with Boston. I just not – I'm not sure – how they now Stevens can draw up great stuff and on, you know, ATOs and things like that. But at the end of the day, as you mentioned, you got to have like warriors level firepower with, with Durant and all those guys to be able to overcome a defense as good as the Clippers. And also I think as good as Philly, Philly's defense is going to be by the end of the season. Again, they're just so long was, I just don't know how you, how you generate quality shots against the team with that kind of length. Yeah, I, I, I was, I was, I was not very high on Boston coming into this season. Yeah, uh, I, I think they, if they want to get serious, I think they have to make a move at center. Yeah, they have to, and you know, I guess they just gotta pray that over the course of the season, um, Tatum develops a, a one-on-one offensive game that is good enough. Not that they have to rely on on it, but can be used down the stretch at the end of games. Um, that's what I think they have to prey on when it comes to postseason success because I don't think Jalen Brown's a one-on-one type of guy just straight up beat the guy in front of you. And again, it's not about ball movement and 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 scheming stuff because in the playoffs against the best teams, these teams are the best because they have the best talent, mm-hmm. the best coaching, and they're locked in. They're yeah. keyed in at that time. So you can't get away with basically trickeration. Yeah. Um, you have to just straight up beat the guy that's in front of you. Yeah. That's what it comes down to every single play- postseason. We see it time after time after time after time and again. Um, last year being an example, uh, Toronto, again, extremely well-coached team, um, great talent level as we're seeing this year. Uh, but at the end of the day, Kawhi had to go out and beat guys yeah. in fourth quarters. Right. One-on-one, he had to go out and get his shots. Um, obviously, Golden State had that in spades with KD and, and Steph and Clay before they went down, but that's the name of the game. It's called beating the man in front of you. Yeah. Uh, and that's what it, what it takes in the postseason. As much as we love ball movement and off the ball and screening and all of that, <laughs> like often comes down to are you better than the guy that's trying to guard you? Yeah. Um, and, and, and I don't know that Boston has that, but I was encouraged by their effort. I think the Clippers thing is fun, David, because they got so many things to work out and they're already this good. Um, and I think a lot of that, it is going to sound crazy. Is Lou Williams? Um, he's an offense generator in and of himself. Absolutely. His chemistry with Montrez Harrell in the pick mm-hmm. and rolls is off the chart. They are basically a mind meld. Those two <laughs> out there, and, the, and like the, 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 the thing about like the luxury of just like Lou Will and Montrez put whoever you want else out there. They're going to figure out how to generate quality offensive looks. Yeah, you know, um, no matter what the starters are doing as far as Kawhi and Paul George and them figuring it out, and they're smart enough, cerebral enough players, they're going to figure it out. But it's so dope to have Lou Williams just as an offensive hub, and he just, man, it, it is one, I don't, I, I can't explain it to people, but Lou Will in person is an incredible experience. I said this on oh. Buds the other day. Mm-hmm. He put a move on Wanamaker, Dave, where one dribble, he created like four feet of space yeah. in separation. Yeah, He is just an incredible player, so I think it's going to be dope to watch them develop as the season goes on now that they finally got Paul George back. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've been I've been on Lou Will camp since his days with the Sixers. I always said this when he was in the East playing on bad teams that 
there he was the quickest player to get hot off the bench in the league. It wasn't close. Like he comes in hot. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like yeah. he doesn't need to go up and down the floor a couple of times. He's right. I mean, he's first shot, you know, and then he just, he stays hot. He's ridiculous, you know? And, and the fact that he and, uh, you know, his agent Wallace Prather were able to, you know, were willing to do a deal long-term to stay with the Clippers when it, when a lot of people, including me thought, I'm not sure that makes a lot of sense. You know, why don't you go to a contending team? Because the Clippers weren't a contending team then. I give them credit for sticking with it because now, you know, they are they are incredible right now. Do you think talk about the the depth that they have and the quality they have coming off the bench and that lockdown potential that you talked about? Um, you know, I don't I think the Clippers are the team to beat. I still think they're the team to beat out West. I know they don't have the best record right now, but I just don't know. Who's going to be able to score against them in crunch time in the playoffs? Yeah, I think they need to. I, I, they have to make a move, and I think they will, honestly. I don't think they're going to go into the playoffs as with Trez and Zubach as their only two big men. Yeah, I think they need to make a move to show that up because I think that's their main weakness right now is the, the interior defense, uh, which I think could be exposed in a potential playoff matchup. And um, they just... It's just about working out the kinks with Kawhi and Paul George um, when it comes to the offense and the flow because Kawhi had a shit ton of turnovers the yeah. last night and he had a bunch of turnovers against Toronto when teams where they've just been aggressive on pick and roll, right? Yeah, like right. They're, they're just jumping. Been, yeah. They've just been challenging him, throwing two at the ball, mm-hmm. making it real busy, making it hard for him to see over. Those guys haven't figured out how and when to become escape valves from them. So, you know, it's Dece- It's not even December. Right. They I will. think these are things they'll figure out. <laughs> yeah. But playmaking is absolutely something they need to worry. They need to think about. And big man rotation is something they need to think about on the defensive end. Yeah. You know, you have to give to get. But obviously, if they were able to keep Shea Gilgis Alexander, he would have been like the perfect guy, you know, but they couldn't. I understand that. Yeah. That's what you got to give up talent. Um, but I want to also make sure we talked about Carmelo's debut. He's played in a couple of games now in Portland. Um, frankly, he's been about what I expected. You know, I mean, he can make a shot. He can always make a bucket. Uh, that's never going to change for him. Uh, I, I'm skeptical that it's going to work out, but I haven't talked to you about it and wonder what you thought about it. So I like He's looked much better on offense than I anticipated that he would. He's clearly put a lot of work into his body. Yeah. Um, he's clearly he looks good. He's in good shape. And he's a he's an offensive piece. There's no doubt about it. But the bottom line is you he, like he's been so bad on defense. Yeah. Um, to where it, it negates it. And yeah. makes him, you know, not a plus or neutral player. Like, I think if he can be a neutral player, uh, it's fine. Um, it's gonna work. He can, you know, he can play some four man minutes. Um, when they when when teams like to, you have to uh, play him at the four. I think. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, the, he 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 doesn't stand a chance against any credible wing NBA starter at this point in his career. He's just too slow footed. But yeah. I think when teams go ultra aggressive with Dame, as they do, as they tend to do, right? right. Ultra aggressive, put two on the ball, make him give it up. And Portland never has never had any playmaking big men. You know, somebody who can catch it at the top of the key on a four on three and actually make the correct pass, you know, or correct decision. They've never had that. I think Carmelo's capable of that. Um, And he can be a valuable guy because he can both shoot an open tray. And if he's forced to put the ball on the floor, 
his his playmaking is actually a bit underrated because he's known as this gunner. Mm-hmm. But if you're the worst defender, like literally, not like hyperbole, Dave. Like if you're literally the worst defender in the league, um, what you bring on offense doesn't justify rotational minutes. Well, how do you? I mean, who's not going to put him in pick and roll every time? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it just and just, and, they, and Portland doesn't have the defensive talent to lift him up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, it's not like, for instance, Lou Williams on the Clippers. When he's playing next to Pat Beverly, Kawhi Leonard, and Paul George, right. it's okay. We can yeah. figure it out. We can make it work. We know he's slight. We know defense is not his calling card. But we have so much defensive talent around him. We can make it work. Portland doesn't have that. They right. don't have that luxury. So when he's bad, it's bad. bad. Yeah. <laughs> As I, I mean, I wrote this for the athletic early in the week. I was like, I know what you know. Sure, you can funnel him to Hassan Whiteside and let Whiteside deal with it, and and you know he'll block some shots and change some shots, and and that's one way to do it. But over the course of a season, and certainly in the playoffs, I mean, I just don't know where you hide him defensively. Was I just don't know where you where you how you can put him on the floor for big minutes. And to your point, when teams double Damon, it's not like, look, CJ's a great player. I love him. And he'll score. And you can you can win games with CJ as your second guy, making big shots at the ends of games. But I'll live with that defensively. As, a, as an opposition over a seven-game series, if CJ McCollum beats me four times, I'll shake his hand. You know right. what I mean? I'm not going to – I'm not letting Dame beat me. This is not happening. And so I don't know that Carmelo is going to – I just, you know, I wish, I hope it works because as again, as I wrote, I love the guy personally and I'm in the tank for the guy, frankly. I mean, I just think he's been, he's been so accessible as a superstar. Um, he's always been available to me and to others um, in, in both in New York and Denver and everywhere else he's been. He's never big timed anybody. He's never stiff people. Um, and I think he's genuinely a good dude. You know, I really do. Um, but I just... I just don't know how he how he fits in in the modern NBA anymore, and I'm not saying that because I'm you know I'm not a big analytics guy. Yeah. But the reality is, you've got you to fit defend. in somewhere defensively. <laughs> you <laughs> you got to defend. You yeah. Defend. And to echo echo your point, Dave, um, from your dealings with him, I've never had to personally deal with Carmelo. I don't know, but mm-hmm. I've talked to guys like Isola. Like Chris Herring of ESPN, right. um, Ian Begley of SNY, formerly of ESPN. Yeah. Um, and when you ask them about Carmelo, they're like the most professional, the yeah. nicest guy. Yeah. Um, always had time, win, lose, or draw. Yes. Right. Yes. And there was a lot of freaking losing in New York. <laughs> right. But he always right. had time. He was always gracious with everybody. He always treated people humanely. Um, and you know he has a reputation for being a neighborhood guy, community guy. Oh, dude, um, absolutely. He absolutely. is just a great dude. You know, like by and large, everybody, all indications, Carmelo Anthony is a quality individual. Um, so you know, it's only natural that you would want to root for somebody that you know, be able to graciously leave the game. Somebody like yeah. that. Um, you never want to use the word deserves when it comes right, to sports. Right, right. But I feel like Carmelo, you know, he deserves to go out in a way that's positive. I just um, want him to go out the way Dwayne Wade did last year, you know, and it doesn't I, have to be absolutely. in, it doesn't have to be in Denver, but it, wherever it is, maybe it's Portland. I just want him to go out with some respect, you know, and, and, and hopefully contribute to some wins because he's a good dude, man. And I really, you know, I really, um, 
you mentioned the neighborhood stuff. I mean, I've been in Baltimore with him when he's done things in his neighborhood. You know, he's from Baltimore. He's done stuff in, in the community. And even at the Olympics in 2016, I mean, he went into the favelas, which are the poorest neighborhoods in Rio, yep. you know, by himself with no no entourage, just him because he really wanted to give back to to people that otherwise wouldn't get a chance to see him. And I just really – I have so much respect for him in that regard as a person – and his, you know, he's he, you know, he has evolved. I'll say on on the whole notion of of athlete uh, athletes talking and speaking up about social issues. I mean, he was there with with LeBron and with with Dwayne at the ESPYS, which I also was at. So I mean, that I've seen him do it in real time. So I wish him well. I want it to work out for him, and hopefully, it will work out with him in Portland. Yeah, we've come a long way from stop snitching, man. Hey, right? <laughs> right? Man. All it's right. nice, man. It's nice to see. It really is. So um, let's take a quick break. We'll be back in a second with Kevin Pritchard, We talk, who is the president of basketball operations of the Indiana Pacers. We'll talk about the Pacers' start despite all these injuries. Back in a few. You ever wonder how to get the hottest new sneakers, the ones that barely hit the shelves? The answer is StockX a revolutionary new marketplace for buying and selling 100% authentic sneakers, streetwear, watches, and handbags. Now, Siwaz, this is, um, I'm old, so I don't know anything that they're talking about here. Other than I know Louis Vuitton, because they got Louis Vuitton, they got Chanel, they got Gucci, they got Rolex, Omega, Tudor, and more in terms of luxury handbags and watches and brands. But I figure you're the sneakerhead, so you can uh, you can pipe me in on some of the stuff that they might have for you. Yeah, they have all of these different brands. Um, like you like you mentioned, it's not just sneakers; it's bags, it's tour merch from your favorite artists like Kanye West and Kid Cudi um, to Drake. Uh, it's all of that. And my my favorite part about StockX is actually the authentication process, because in the old days, the Wild Wild West days of the secondary market. You kind of had to hold your breath. You had to trust that, you know, the the platform that you were selling it on, I mean, that you were buying or selling on, did a good job of vetting their sellers. And, you know, the, they had a rating system, which was which helped, but it's not the same as them actually getting the product, inspecting the product. Um, and this goes down to from the color, the stitching, to the smell yeah. of the products. They know how the products are supposed to smell. Um, in the authentication process. So I think that's the best part where you won't get burned, where, you know, sometimes you're, you're paying a significant markup on certain items and you get it back and it's BS. It's not, mm-hmm. the, it's not the real shebang. It's from East Asia. Uh, you know, um, you, know you, you want to avoid that at all costs when you're dealing with the secondary market, especially since nowadays a lot of the, you know, the, the high interest items, Dave, they, they go on sale on the internet on these shoe companies apps and they're gone literally within seconds. Yeah. So many times your best shot to get this is on the secondary market and sometimes at a slight markup, but most people are more than happy to do it for items that they need. Um, and with StockX, you can be guaranteed that the item is going to be authentic, which I love the most. I could not say it better myself than Waz just did. So if you want in on all the hype, check out stockx.com slash bball. For a surprise offer that won't be wrong long, that's StockX.com slash B-Ball. Check it out today. Welcome to Who Comma is Adjacent on the Athletic Podcast Network. You. I, I think for the most part, man, the, the appreciation of, of, of me, right, and the support. 
that, that I have from, you know, not just my fans, but it seems like from from a lot of different, you know, people, man. And, you know, that's something that, like, I, I it, it's a humbling experience for me, right? And, you know, you, you go from, you know, being one type of player to being out the game and having an opportunity to come back and just seeing the support system that you have from, you know, just fans. And, you know, that, that would never go unappreciated. Don't quit. And joining us this week is the president of basketball operations for the Indiana Pacers, Kevin Pritchard. KP, thank you for joining us, man. Glad to do it, D.A. Oh, man, it's, it's very good to have you on here. Uh, your team is, I, I would say, hanging in there is probably the right phrase with all the injuries you've had, <laughs> you know, with, with Vic still uh, rehabbing and uh, being uh, now with the G League team practicing. Uh, what do you think's kept you guys afloat so far? Well, I think we've got really good guys on our team. You know, we we, we brought in Malcolm Brogdon this summer, uh, Jeremy Lamb, um, and they've kind of, specifically Malcolm, he's really taken over a leadership role. And, um, you know, we, we like what we've seen in him, but it, it's really just not one person. It's, it's like collectively we've come together already, a little bit surprising, to be honest with you, because we thought it would take take some time. We 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 have seven or eight new players, and we're we're playing uh, one of our G League guys right now, our two way player. So we're pretty deep into the bench. I give a lot of credit to Nate and his staff. You know, we have kind of a foundation uh, that's been built with uh, Dan Burke, and you know, being a, a more defensive minded team. And I think that overall, guys have have stepped into some roles, accepted, uh, you know, maybe a, a different role. Maybe we, one night we need a little bit more scoring from a player and they've, they've stepped up. DJ uh, Warren's done a really good job for us as is Sabonis. We, we've had some guys, it seems like in timely moments, step up and play well. And, you know, it, it, and the NBA comes down to that last few minutes of a game. You, you, it's about making shots and making one play and, We've been lucky. We've made that one player uh, been fortunate uh, down the stretch. And so really, to me, it's been about the collective group coming together and, and, and you know, making plays down the stretch. Uh, Kev, how you doing? It's Waz um, here on the line as well. Um, hey, just, I'm good. I'm good. Cannot complain. Uh, I just wanted to ask you about Sabonis in particular. Uh, it feels like as soon as the minute you guys got him, the chatter out there was that, well, they can't keep him and Miles Turner. They have to get rid of him. Eventually, they have to pay some bonus. They can't keep both of them. It's Indiana. It's a small market. You guys went out and extended him and decided, obviously, that you want to keep him long term. How, how have you felt about, you know, the decision to keep some bonus in the fold and how he's responded to, you know, being, you know, tapped as a long term pacer? Well, I think it goes back really um, to when we traded for him. When we did that trade, um, you know, it was initially Victor and, and Paul as the, the mainstays. And one of the things we were, what was really important is as soon as they put in Sabonis, we, we really wanted to do it with Sabonis. So he's been something that, you know, our scouts, Ryan Carr and uh, uh, that our scouting crew's done a great job in in evaluating talent, even though you don't draft them, you kind of got to keep your eyes on them. And if you've liked them in the draft, um, 
you know, you, you still kind of keep them on your radar. And so as soon as they put Domas in the trade, you know, we were, we were going to do that. And then, and he's just, he's come in and he's worked so hard. I mean, it's a cliche that players work, work hard and, you know, become better, but he decided every single year uh, that he's been with us that he was going to add something to his game and he just keeps getting better and better. And, you know, everybody says you have to play, play small ball to be successful. And, you know, the truth is for us, you know, we're not afraid to go against the, the grain a little bit. And if you look at, you know, a few teams out there, they're, they're going big. They're, their teams have decided, okay, everybody's going small. We're not afraid to go big. And I think it, it really comes down to one thing with Sabonis and, you know, and Miles is we feel like that they can work it together, they, uh, that, that they want it to work, that they feel good about playing with each other. And, you know, you, you have to make some adjustments specifically on defense, but they're doing their best. We haven't seen a whole lot of it, but what we've seen – with uh, he and Miles, we've, we've really liked, and it's something that we want to see a lot of in the future. And, you know, we didn't sign either of those guys to, to trade, you know. We, we don't have the luxury of just signing guys to trade. We, we try to uh, build a, a chemistry, and if you look over the last, you know, few years, we, we just don't make a lot of in-season in trades. We try to make our, our big decisions in the summer, and then we, we hope that there's some continuity. Last summer, we didn't have much continuity because we had so many free agents and it was a moving target. But now that we have some players, we really want to have some some continuity moving forward. You know, Kevin, I'm glad you mentioned that and, and, and Waz brought up the, uh, the trade. Um, going back to your days in Portland when you were the GM there, that's also a market that does not, you know, from a free agency standpoint, it's it's been harder to get guys to go out there, even though the teams have been pretty good. And I wonder how that how that you know impacts you when you're in Indiana in a, in a similar situation when you bring in a young guy like like Sabonis and you know that hey we got to keep our young guys. we got to figure out a way to keep them around here um, because it's not going to be easy for us to bring in free agents. Well, th- you're exactly right, DA. One of the things is, you know, you, you acquire a, a good player and, and you know, a, a great person, even though it may not perfectly fit, it's still good for us because acquiring high-level talent like Sabonis or Miles or Victor or Malcolm or Jeremy or TJ – Really, it, it's hard. Uh, and so what we say is let's, let's do everything we can to acquire really good talent that are good human beings, and then let's really take care of them. I, I, I can't probably overstate how much we work on, Nate specifically and the staff and, and Bill Baino and Popeye Jones, they work every day on developing players. I, I think that's one thing we try to – make as our mainstay is how we develop those guys once we get them. But like, like you said, if you get high level talent in Indiana, you better do everything you can to keep them. And, you know, everybody wants the puzzle piece to to fit perfectly, but very rarely does it ever fit perfectly. What you really try to do is, you know, accentuate your positives and minimize your negatives. And, I think that's what we're 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 trying to do. We try to do it every every year. Every team has its own little nuances. And so what we try to do is figure out how to get to our positives as much as we can. And 
you know, uh, the, the, the thing that we can kind of tip our hat on is if you ever talk to uh, Domas or Miles, the one thing you know is they're really good friends on and off the court and they want to make it work. So um, getting good talent, developing, and then hopefully letting them uh, shine brightly with, with their positives is, is something we try to do with, you know, every day. I feel like people who followed the league closely – sort of place indiana memphis uh, milwaukee new orleans with the tag of quote unquote small markets right um i i also think that when you guys acquired malcolm brogdon uh at the number that you did a lot of people raised their eyebrows um and you know quite frankly to me i thought it was a bad move for 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 the Bucs. They should have kept him. I think he's a really good player. He's a valuable piece to any team that thinks they want to contend. Um, do you feel empowered being in a quote-unquote small market by your ownership group to go out and acquire talent at any cost? I don't think anybody has... Well, that's not true. I, I would say at any cost, uh, it's probably a little too big of a leap of faith for us. Mm-hmm. Um I think there is a cost because, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like um, when you have an opportunity to, to sign a player, what you do is you fill a budget need, right? You, you, you have a budget. And so no matter what, if you spend too much on one player, that means you have less for another player down the line. And so for us, one of the things is we, we try to, we try to sign players appropriately. I like paying a player a little bit more because um, it makes them feel better. They can kind of look around. We're, we're not afraid to do that. Uh, a nickel more is, is fine. But, um, you know, at, at any cost, I don't think that is the case. I, I will say with Malcolm that one of the things that Herb said was, you know, we have this cap space. Um Who's the player out there that is a, a, a difference maker that is a player that we can feel good about, who's a good person that can fit the culture that we've tried to develop over the last couple of years. And it just, it was like such an easy decision for us because getting a player of Malcolm's talent and, you know, personality and the chemistry that he brings, they don't come around that often. And, what we found out July 1st was that Malcolm saw what we saw in us. Um, and so we just had to figure out how to make it work. And, you know, I give Herbie a lot of uh, um, credit because he, he saw what we saw and he said, that is our guy, let's go get him. And, and so we did anything we could and, you know, it cost us a, a first round pick and that was the big asset. But for me, to get a talent and, and a person like Malcolm was, we don't have that opportunity that much. And look, as we plan out going forward, our cap space is limited and our budget might be a little bit limited. So we have to be somewhat cautious in, in how we approach because we have a long term plan. One of the things we, we pride ourselves is looking out a, a year or two, three years and five years and trying to understand, but, you know, that's difficult in itself. But for us, it was it was such an easy decision with Malcolm because we thought he was such a high-level talent. 
Along those lines, KP, um, I really like the Warren trade on draft night. Uh, even though it cost you my favorite player in the league, Bogdanovich, I love that kid <laughs> uh, for a number of reasons. We did, we did too. Yeah. <laughs> but I really like, uh, to Waz's point, TJ Warren from a production standpoint and a cost standpoint just would seem like the perfect fit for you guys. Well, it gave us some cost certainty and it allowed us to to go after a few other players, you know, it allowed us to go after Malcolm and Jeremy because of his cost certainty. And the thing about TJ is as soon as we signed him, I could see it in his eyes. He wanted to prove everybody wrong that he wasn't a winner. And Mm -hmm. we have been super impressed. If you look at what he's done on the defensive side of the ball uh, and his analytics and his effort and his pride, his, his, Offensive production, like normal players, you know, can one one game be really good and maybe next game not as good. But he has been absolutely static on his his defensive output. He has been unbelievable. He's bought into what we want to do. He wants to guard the best player on another team, um, and he's learning. And look, he's he's not a complete player yet. We we felt like that there was a lot of growth with him because. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, he wasn't a 30-year-old player. He was still 26, 27 years old. And, you know, we think that players' lifeline and their uh, timeline is moved later. Uh, you know, 10 years ago, players were peaking at 26, 27. Now it's 27, 28, 29. And it keeps getting pushed out because of what players and what teams are doing in terms of nutrition and you know, load management, although I don't like that word, <laughs> uh, two words, um, you know, players are, are, are performing at a higher level later on. And so we think there's a lot of growth with TJ. We've been so happy with him. Um, and he brings it every day, every day of practice in the weight room, uh, doing his physical uh, therapy. He's, he's done everything we asked. It's, it couldn't have been a better fit. So the last time Victor Oladipo played, uh, the team was – it's just a different team right now than when the last time he was on the floor with the Pacers. Um, we know he's rehabbing. I mean, or he's he's getting some work in with the G League affiliate. What do you see him bringing in to this group? What do you see him fitting in with this group in his, like, I don't know, what will his role be? Not that he's a role player, but what do you think he'll, he'll be emphasizing when he gets back? Well, I can tell you this, uh, role player in Victor Oladipo uh, doesn't fit. <laughs> those, those, those four words. Um, Victor I think Russell Westbrook would disagree with you, Kev. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about other teams. I know this, that Victor started practicing with us, and the one thing he's done is he's gone in there and he's been Victor. He mm-hmm. hasn't tried to do too much. He hasn't tried to do too little. Uh He's he's super excited to get back on the floor. I can see how the minute he gets back on the floor, uh, how his adrenaline and his speed, and he's going to want to go super fast and, and try to make a quick impact. But, uh, you know, Victor brings uh, a unique dynamic that, that this team, you know, was built around, quite frankly. And, um, you know, he's a player that can get in the paint. Um, at will on anybody and that's something that you know we 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 tried to 
build complementary pieces around that. And so um, he's attacked his, his physical therapy like no one I've ever seen in my life. He has, you know, he does a couple hours of physical therapy and then conditioning and then on the court. And then he goes home and then he comes back and does shooting. It's, it's like whatever, whatever you tell Victor to do, he's going to do twice the amount. And um, we've actually probably had to tell him woe down more than, more than anything because, you know, he wants it so bad. But we're going we're gonna to take a cautious approach. And how he fits, I think, will be perfect. It, you know, we, we've, we've said that there's, there's three seasons to this season. One that without Victor and a team that's kind of competing and, you know, we're really proud of. One where there's an adjustment period and, you know, we're going to feel each other out again and, and Victor will come back into the lineup. And, um, and then hopefully a team, we're all healthy and we can peak at the right time. But I know this, the, the leadership group of our team can't wait for Victor to get back. And Victor's a part of that leadership group. And, and so we're excited to see, see all phases, the, the first phase, the second phase and the, the third phase, hopefully. And Victor is such a good person. He's not going to be disruptive. He wants to come in and he wants to win. And, you know, um, we're excited for that. And hopefully it's not too, too much further. It seems like a long time ago that he got hurt, but it's getting closer and closer. So, um, you know, Kevin, you know, this, this podcast is listened to by maybe six or seven people. So it's not a big deal. If you, if you tell us now, <laughs> Is yeah, uh, right. any any connection between Victor and this thingamajig guy that's on the Mass Singer? <laughs> you know, the one thing I can say is yeah. I know that he was gone for a day or two, and then he came back, and he seemed to be singing a little bit more. But I don't know. You know, I, that's all I can say. But with Victor, he sings all the time. He doesn't stop singing. I mean, it'll be before the game he's singing, after the game, and at practice, he's just a happy person. And it's funny, we we had this button when we first met with Victor and we, we talked about what he wanted the organization and what he felt like was important for a, uh, a culture. And so he, he kept telling us, you know, the one thing, and, and what I mean us, Chad and I, we, we uh, Chad Buchanan and myself, we sat down with him for four or five hours and we, we put up on the board all these things and it kept coming back. He kept saying, you know, the one thing I do is I hit the reset button every single day. And so we thought, man, that is, that's really unique. And we like that. And so we put, uh, as we walk onto the court, we put a little red reset button. And, you know, if you want to hit the reset button, you can kind of hear it. It's, it makes a little sound. And every day, Victor has taught me that, you know, no matter what happened in the past, you hit the reset button. It's a new day and attack the day you know, uh, with new renewed vigor and he does it. It's, it's funny. It's, it's, it, it really trickles down to everybody, you know, including our coaches and our staff. He just, he brings a, a bright, shiny light with wherever he goes. So that's something where he's really affected our organization. You worked with Larry Bird for a long time in Indy. I wonder what lessons you learned from him. Well, I was with him for almost nine years. So, you know, in Indy time, because it's gone from, you know, Donnie Walsh for many, many years to Larry Bird to many, many, you know, in Indy years, it's, it's kind of a long time. Um, 
you know, the thing with Larry that is so unique is that he's, he's literally one of the smartest people I've ever been around. He's, he's quick-witted. Uh, he, he has this foundation of what he sees in basketball. And there would be times where we would play uh, well and lose, and he'd be really happy, be like, I, I see it coming, you know. God, we played hard and we just got beat. And there would be times where we would win and uh, he wouldn't be really happy about it. He'd be like, I don't, you know, I don't know. But every day for, you know, nine or so years, uh, I would go into his office and we would just talk for sometimes it'd be 15 minutes. Sometimes it'd be three hours, but we would talk about a lot of things. And, you know, uh, one thing you, you can tell about Larry is that, um, you know, loyalty means everything and, and, and being loyal to the organization, you know, being unselfish to the organization, putting the organization first, um, you know, the stories he would tell, would, you know, are, are just like what you would think, you know, a, a perfect example is when he, he said that he was going to step down from being president, he brought me and, and Herb Simon was in the, the room and, he told Herb, he said, Herbie, I'd like to stay on, but, you know, I'll do it on one condition. And that is Kevin is the president and I'd like to stay on as a consultant with him. And we literally made the deal uh, for me to become president and him to stay on in like five minutes. And, you know, I'm not sure if that's the way the world works right now. I think it should work that way, that a handshake means a lot. And so we, we shook hands and that was the deal. And it took five minutes and we moved on and we carried on with our business. And I think that's what kind of a person Larry is. And that's something that I, I aspire to be sometimes, you know, he's just such a unique person that, uh, you know, the world could use a lot more Larry birds. I can tell you that. Sounds to me, Kev, that you don't need an aging. You got Larry Bird. <laughs> yeah. Negotiate deals for you, you good. Agent, I can tell you that. <laughs> you know, but, but look, I, I made a lot of mistakes with Larry. Um, you know, I gave him a lot of opportunity. Uh, at least I gave him what I thought were, you know, good, good sound advice. Some of them worked, some of them didn't. But there was never a time where I, I didn't, hold myself and he accountable or he held me accountable. And I just tried to give him every single day, no matter what the honest, my honest opinion and whether it was right or wrong, you know, uh, hopefully it was more right. And, you know, I think that's what is important in this business that no matter what you give your honest opinion, because it's really easy to just agree with everybody. Oh, I agree. I agree. Yeah, no, I agree. But with Larry, I tried to give him my honest opinion. And, uh, you know, that's all we ask in this business because there's really not, you know, it, it's it's not black and white in this business. It's not yes or no. There's a lot of gray area. And it's a lot of gray areas depending on which team there, what's your, your long-term plan and, and all those kind of things. But, you know, if you just give your honest opinion and, you know, don't shove it down somebody's throat or, you know, or, or be a yes man. You're, you know, you're just honest in what your opinion you are. I, I think it goes a long way. In this Kevin, I wanted to ask you, um, you were not with the, with the Pacers uh, in 2004 when they had the infamous brawl with the Pistons. 
but it is 15 years since that happened. And I wonder if you have sensed or felt any, are there any residual effects from that? I mean, I know it took years for the franchise to really get past it, but is anything, are there any lessons that they've taken from it as a franchise? Has the community taken any lessons from it? Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, that, that started us for a long time. The one thing I can tell you is we've talked about it. It's been talked about. Uh, we talk a, a lot about the security behind it and then, and then truly how to create a culture for a player that he can, you know, be successful. Um, how do you evaluate players? What's important? What's important to the community? I mean, a lot of questions. It, it made the organization ask a lot of questions. And so one of the big things for, for, for us is, you know, we want a, a team that is a good team, but it better serve your community well. And, and so we ask ourselves, is this a good person? Is this, is this a person that we sign or trade for or draft? Is it somebody we feel great about that can represent the, the team not just today and tomorrow, but for the long term. And so maybe we give up a little bit in, in talent, um, but we definitely try to bring in good people. And then then we do everything we can to help them, you know, succeed on and off the court. But I think for us is we turn the page. We know what happened. We we we, we respect, you know, some of the, the, the problems. And, and then we try to move forward and learn from what we what we what we did and and try to not make those mistakes again i think that was a devastating uh day for the franchise and you know i hope, I hope we can never repeat that and, and move forward and create great pacer memories in our community because at the end of the day that's really what it's about people want to come to the pacers i know in indiana it's, it's a hotbed for basketball you better play hard you better play unselfish and then you better do whatever you can uh, to make the community proud. And, and those things, I think, really get extenuated when when you go through a, a problem like that. So I'm happy you said the the Indiana, the Hoosier State part, because I'm not going to lie, um, Kev. I'm a New York City guy. Whenever I hear people say, well, Indiana is a basketball craze state, the Hoosier State. But what they really love is high school basketball and college basketball and not the guys who are actually the best at the sport in the state. Uh, you mentioned bringing in high character guys like Victor Oladipo, um, Miles. These guys have their, their credibility as far as character guys, team guys around the league is unassailable. Um, do you think you guys have been able to make inroads, you know, after the malice at the palace and all of that in the community to convince people that, no, these are the type of guys that you absolutely want to root for, um, and they're you know they're just a bit better than the guys who haven't grown mustaches yet. Well, I, I think one of the big you know things. I think you're right in that high school ba- basketball in Indiana is incredible, and you know, unfortunately, because of the NBA rules, I can't go to high school basketball game. I grew up in Indiana. I know what it means. I know what high school basketball means. I mean, communities shut down on Friday night. And they literally take a town of 20,000. Uh, I grew up in Noblesville. And you'll go over, drive an hour to Anderson and watch a game in the Wigwam, which is, you know, a, a major uh, arena. And so it, it, is, it is the roots 
uh, of basketball is in their high school. I, no one would disagree with that. One of the things I think we try to do is, you know, we don't typically say, okay, a guy goes to Indiana and let's uh, Indiana university, let's, let's uh, draft him. I, I would say this though, but we believe very strongly that Indiana grows basketball. It's like, it's, it's what with the, the, the state's about and, you know, we're proud of it. My point would be if there's a kid that's in, you know, Indiana or other, uh, we, we tend to look at them a little strongly and uh, because we know what it means from their roots. We know what they've gone through and how the state produces a lot of basketball players. And then the college uh, produces a lot of basketball players. And for me, it's awesome because I can drive, you know, 15 minutes to Butler, you know, 45 minutes to Bloomington, an hour to Purdue, uh, you know, Evansville. I mean, there's a lot of great teams that you can just literally from Indianapolis go watch a great basketball game almost any night if you include the uh, high school. And, you know, it, it makes for a sort of a commonplace. And what I found out is a lot of people from the NBA are flying into Indianapolis a lot because they can get to a good basketball game pretty quickly. Well, Kevin, I, I really appreciate the time that you've taken out uh, on the road to, to talk with us. And uh, I really am happy for you. I'm happy for the Pacers that they are. Thank you, D.A. They've got a you've got a good thing going there. And when you get your superstar back, it could be a great thing this year in a wide open East. So I wish you the best of luck and safe travels uh, as you guys continue. Thank you, guys. All right. I appreciate that, guys. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Another campaign was Yes. Thank Kevin again. That was uh, terrific, terrific stuff. Was good questions as always. Um, I hope it works out for them. I, I got a soft spot for Indiana for for a number of reasons, but um, I think I think it's going to be difficult for them in the East. But uh, when they get their man back, well, you know they become a different team for sure. Yeah, I like talking to Kevin because talking to Kevin is like talking to a plate of meat and potatoes. You know what I mean? <laughs> like he, I know what you mean. <laughs> he's just a down home type of cat. It's kind of dope, man. Yeah. He, he was fun to talk to. No, 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 no flourishes. You don't got nah, <laughs> nah. Just potatoes and a steak, baby, <laughs> and a glass of water. <laughs> Not even, no not, even, not even spring water? Nah. <laughs> Just play no tap. Ice. That's straight from the tap. <laughs> oh, man. Why is this end this, as I always do, I ask you, I'm an old man. I stay home for the weekends. What are you doing this weekend? Anything fun? Also, today, it's actually Friday. Tonight, I'm actually throwing an event what? called Sunset out in Santa Monica at the okay. Legendary Shore Bar. Uh, the thing is, David, um, you might not know this, but... LA is a pretty expensive city, so you I did need not know several. That, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You need several streams of income. So me and a couple of buddies of mine, we've decided to start an event throwing business. Okay, okay. Um, and we've had three pretty successful events already. Some day party type of things. Um, this is our first venture of a night party. Um, so you know we partnered up with the people at Shore Bar, uh, um, out in Santa Monica, right by the beach, right on um, right on the uh, Pacific Coast Highway. 
and tonight we're going we're going to try to boogie some nice vibrations, nice music. I'm um, just trying to have fun and put on a dope event for the people of Los Angeles. Man, how did you get into the, I mean, it's, it's great. How did you get into this, though, the, the event so, planning business? The thing is, like, my, my cousin, who's a, who's one of my partners, Yeah. Um, he works in the music industry. He's mm-hmm. like an, a record label exec. Yeah. <laughs> so, he's like, that's part of his world. Um, another friend of mine is a DJ. He's been DJing since he's 14 years old, like, literally... Wow. 15, 14 years old, DJing Jamie Foxx house parties. Wow, um, okay. He's local to L.A., my man Night Train. So, you know, um, and my, my man Tori, he's been doing events in L.A. for like seven years now. So mm-hmm. the, my, my, my friends actually work in that space. And I happen to know people um, in L.A. too. So we, we, bring, we bring what we bring collectively together and we just put these events on and just have some fun with it, man. All right. So the last thing you're, you're – uh... Style rankings came out this week. A new number one. Well, oh no, PJ was is he still was this a repeat? He, PJ Tucker? No, 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 no. He this is the first time he's is been this number his first one. Number one. I know he's been in the top the top ten. He's the whole been time. in the top ten all season because yeah. you know, and I mentioned this in the profile. Like to me, he's my favorite person in the NBA right now to yeah. pay attention to when it comes to the style stuff. I don't always love what he wears, but the guy's fearless. Yeah. Um, he's truly fearless. Uh, uh, and he's just my favorite person to check out. And I just thought last week he nailed all the elements of things that I that I like um, when it comes to PJ Tucker and his and his sense of style. So that's why I decided to um, make him number one. He actually killed it in, in his PJ Tuckerness. All right. So uh, the, there have been a lot of repeat guys in the top ten the, the first few weeks. So what does a guy have to do to to break into the top ten of of Woj's of Waz's style top ten? You got to I mean, I'm che- and again, I'm checking out the younger guys in the league because mm-hmm. I know a lot of them were super into this. Yeah. And and the bottom line is nobody's doing anything interesting. For instance, I'll give you I'll give you an example of. And I can sneak preview the next the next um, power ranking. Jordan Clarkson showed up to American Airlines Arena in Miami with a Chanel purse on. (laughs) Okay, see, that's the type of shit that I like because Jordan Clarkson (laughs) is making a mockery of the idea of NBA fashion. Right, right, right. right. Like I love what he's doing because it's like a his outfits are just a, a a meta commentary on how serious dudes take what they're wearing and how they often miss the mark. So he's like, I could wear a purse to the game <laughs> and still look fabulous. <laughs> you know, so that's the type of thing that we want to reward on the list, Dave. Have like, some just fun with it. Fun yeah. and, and like, relax, guys. We get it. We know you can afford to buy Bape and Supreme right. um, and Gucci and Balenciaga. We get it. We know you can afford it, but have some fun with it. Put your actual own personality into it. Um, and that's what we want to see. Man, on that great note, take heed, NBA players. Listen to my man, Waz, and have some fun. Because that's what we try to do here every week at Hoops Adjacent. And we'll do it again next week. Thanks a lot for joining us. And leave a review. If you download us, tell us what you think. Bye. Welcome to Hoop Jason.